Okay, everybody, welcome back. Episode 34 of Kente Corner. We're one past Ewing's jersey number now. As always, I'm Bobby Bancroft at Bobby Bancroft on Twitter. I'm here with Andrew Geiger at Casual Hoya. And we've got Nationwide Nolan as well joining us. Guys, as the leader of the pack of Blair Island, I wouldn't have believed what happened in Saturday's 76-72 win over DePaul if I hadn't been there. Blair goes for 30. Your seven gets injured. It doesn't matter. Georgetown wins the game. They absolutely cannot afford to lose. And Javon Blair was the guy. Uh, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> I would never – if you told me before the season that Javon Blair would put up 30 in, in any game, um, I probably would have punched you in the face. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, it's a remarkable <laughs> performance by Blair. Uh, you know, good for him. Good, good for the team. Um, yeah, big win. Season service season is not yet over. We, uh, we, we move on to Saturday. Yeah. I mean, if you would have told us at the start of the year, you'd be closing out a big East game with a win playing Wahab, Murasan, <laughs> Blair, Allen Mosley. Um, yeah. Unexpected, especially when Omar went down. He kind of figured that was about it, but credit to them. And I never saw this coming from Blair, not at all. Yeah, you know, I know early on, I think I think Blair missed. And he wasn't playing that much, and Patrick was sort of on him. You know, I remember the, one of the first couple of home games, he was just like, you know, our three-point shooter isn't making his shots. And I think he might have missed his first eight or nine attempts. And why I never really gave up on him is because he had a pretty good freshman year shooting. Last year, you know, McClung and Akinjo kind of came in and, obviously ate up a lot of those minutes and all those shots, but you figured even with what they had their full roster, this was a guy that Ewing at some point could just tap on the shoulder on the bench. And it's like, Hey, you know, I th- you, you, you kind of figured a big night for him might've been like a 15 point performance, you know? And I always thought that they needed that from him, but the fact that he went for 30 and I know I, you know, I tweeted before the game, like, or like maybe like two minutes into the game. Okay. If they're going to win, Blair has to get 30. Um, I probably was kind of kidding a little bit, but maybe thinking like 25. But the fact that he did it, and he only made four threes. Like when he had that big game at SMU, I think he hit seven threes. I think that's all of his points were off threes. So the fact that he's expanded his game, and Dave Lato talked about, yeah, he was a confident shooter, but I didn't know he could sort of take guys off the dribble or even attempt to dribble. So that's kind of the craziest part about it all. Yeah, he's really developed uh, other facets of his game. I I wonder if... um... It's really just because he has to. I mean, in practice, he's <laughs> yeah. probably assuming a bigger role because there's no one there anymore. I mean, obviously, McClung is not practicing. Um, all the other guys are gone. So he, he just has to do more in practice, it's, and it's translating to the games. Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of heard whispers from the summer going back to the Bahamas trip that he had been playing really well. Um, yeah. And then we got to the start of the season, and it just it wasn't happening. But now, yeah, nobody left. He's getting his opportunity. Um, he is a kid who could barely dribble, you know, consecutively his first two years. But now he is, you can see he's becoming more confident. Um, he doesn't have to look over his shoulder anymore. There's nobody out there who's going to replace him. So it's kind of has free reign on the offensive end. And these last couple of games, I mean, it's not something I expected, but credit to him. So just yeah, because of- shooters, you know, just, just generally shooters who, it's a good point, Nolan. I mean, if you're a shooter and you're not looking over your shoulder every time you miss a shot with fear of getting yanked to the bench, that makes you so much more confident. Um, and 
you know, Bobby, you mentioned he only made four threes. I was really impressed with his, his, his not only just his mid-range game, but his ability to take it to the hoop also. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are now wondering, you know, if and when Mac comes back, whether or not Mac should be kind of the spark off the bench and leave Blair in the starting lineup. What are your thoughts on that? I don't really think, I mean, I don't think it matters so much because they don't have, I mean, whoever's, if they have another healthy body, that's that's a huge addition because they currently have nobody and you're not really getting anything from Pickett. So you almost could say, do you go super small and bring Pickett off the bench? I don't really know. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, how often do you consider going four guards? Um, Jamarco's been struggling. Um, one thing I would say with Blair, I think his defense has also been pretty solid. Um, as talented as a scorer as Mac is, he's probably your worst defender. Oh, yeah. He just can get lost at times for sure. So that's that's been another benefit to it. Um, but Max, obviously, I mean, when he gets it going, you know, there's no score on the team like him. So it'll be interesting to see how that gets juggled. Um, I mean, Pat certainly given Mac you know, a bunch of freedom on the offensive end. And now how do you sort of work that back in with how well Blair's playing? Because Allen and Mosley, those guys are set into their minutes. They they can't come off the floor. So it is really up to those two to, to divvy up those remaining minutes. So I know it's hard for everyone to agree on stuff. Well, I guess Ben's not here. So maybe maybe it'll be easier. But can we all agree that if they go into Butler, who I, I don't think is particularly great, if they don't have McClung or your seven, I mean, there, there's probably no one else they can beat this season for an entire game if they're missing both of those guys, right? Uh, agreed. <laughs> yeah. So your seven got hurt a little bit to my right. It looked pretty bad. He didn't put a whole lot of weight on it. And I've been spending a lot of my time sort of pregame watching McClung just walk. He seems to really struggle for a guy that's, you know, listed as day-to-day. I have a hard time believing he's playing when they go to Hinkle. I haven't had a chance to watch, and I don't think any students have tweeted or anything about what Omir looks like walking around campus. But I don't think they're going to have to worry about the McClung coming back this weekend. But I think it's imperative if the season – I know the casual site's all about, and I agree, getting four more wins probably gets you in the tournament. Omir absolutely cannot miss any time. Yeah, uh, um, well, I don't know. Q, Q's played really well. Obviously, your seven's a huge part of the offense. Uh, I, I would agree with you that I don't think both of them could be out of the game at the same time and have any shot. Right. I do wonder, though, a universe in which Mac returns, but Q starts at center. Um, I don't know. If, I, Butler doesn't really scare me that much i mean i think that that becomes perhaps a winnable game but yeah with both of them out uh, no chance yeah i would agree and it's just a matter of bodies at this point i mean as Charles yeah. wild played if you just roll with him on saturday I mean, if he were to get in foul trouble or if somebody else went down with an injury then you're looking at i don't even know i mean you'd have to throw Murasan out there for an extended time um <laughs> you just need all the healthy bodies you can have and try to figure it out from there Ego F.A. definitely didn't look like the worst player we've seen. I mean, he is a real big dude. He runs pretty mm-hmm. fluid. Um, he's not nearly as skilled offensively as Wahab has surprisingly turned out to be. But, yeah, it just becomes – it's yeah, it's not so much that 
that you couldn't find a way to win with a normal roster without your seven, but like with the current constraints that they have, it's absolutely imperative. And I think last week, um, Andrew and I, we talked about how awful these weeks are when, when they, they don't have a, you know, a game during the week, like this couldn't have come at a better time. Right. Agreed. And I, I thought I saw something, someone who was at the, the post game press conference. I was, uh, Okay, well, maybe it was you who didn't Ewing say he just thought it was a sprain and that your seven would be back for Butler. Yeah, so I'm paraphrasing, but the, the exact quote is something like, "It was really bad. I don't know how long he's out. I expect him back on Saturday." It didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> like it, it, it made it made no sense. And if, like I said, if you watch McClung sort of walk around from the anthem to the to the bench, and when he gets up to cheer, he doesn't look like a guy that's playing anytime soon. Um, there is going to be, well, I don't, I can't say that for sure, but Georgetown's been doing a great job recently with media veils. I suspect that there will be one this week. Unfortunately, I'm not a full-time casual Hoya guy, so I don't know if I can make it. Although it's unlikely Ewing, you know, says he's in or he's out, you know, he's going to just say he's day to day. Right. I mean, I, I would expect we wouldn't know anything until an hour before tip off, just like usual and i know there's a big part of the fan base that says oh well why should we give the other team any advantage you know why should we let them know who's starting and you know i i guess i just know that has anything to do with i just don't think that has anything to do with georgetown's mindset behind the releasing of any, any information so butler surprisingly to me at least I try to make it a point to be near my phone when they come out. Oh, speaking of that, of midday um, information, Javon Blair, as expected, back-to-back all Big East honor roll appearances. Like, if you had before the season, hey, guys, there's going to be three players that are, they're going to make the honor roll at some point this year. How many guesses would you need to get to Javon Blair making multiple appearances? Like, 11? Yeah, about 10. <laughs> So he joins your he joins your seven who has been living in the honor roll by being a double double guy and uh, McClung got a couple of, I think he was back to back player of the weeks at some point but I mean good God Javon I mean he got like a freshman of the week and he was on the all freshman team as, you know as a freshman obviously sort of more of an award that he played a ton so his numbers look pretty good I don't I don't think that there was a lot of confusion for Jamarco and Javon being you know, two of the better freshmen in the conference, but they put up pretty good numbers, but what a turnaround for that guy. But okay. So speaking of the midweek stuff, Butler's still ranked. They've lost five out of eight. One of their wins was at Georgetown where Georgetown just, unfortunately for the Hoyas, just didn't seem interested in winning at the end. This is a pretty winnable game, right? It's casual when you've got your, there's seven games left. They have to win four. Is this probably one of the most likely ones that you think they need? I mean, Yes, if everyone plays or, you know, or <laughs> yeah. one one of Omer or Mac plays. And that's, that's what's so frustrating. It's like, we know McClung, he doesn't have, well, his MRI was clean, so there's really nothing structural in there. He's not wearing a boot on the bench, right? So whatever it is, whether it be some sort of plantar fasciitis or athlete's foot or whatever the, whatever the hell it is, I mean, at some point he's going to have to start playing, right? I mean, like just get in the game. I, I feel like even Mac at, at half speed, just because we need bodies is better than nothing. And plantar fasciitis, I mean, I'm no doctor, but I don't think it's something that you can make worse. Um, am I wrong about that? Isn't it some sort of 
infection thing or viral thing. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking Nolan, about I know you're more of an X's and O's guys, <laughs> but are you familiar with plantar fasciitis? I can't say that I am, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, to answer your question, yes. A b- Butler on the road seems more gettable than, you know, at Marquette. Uh, Since they always win there? Exactly. You know, Villanova at home. What's interesting about Villanova at home is that, I mean, if Seton Hall has already clinched the the one spot for the regular season title um, and Villanova has a nice cushion for two, maybe they don't play their, their guys the whole time. I don't know. Maybe that game becomes one that you can – then you can win, again, assuming that both of our guys are back by the last game of the season. Um, but, yeah, clearly go to Hinkle, win the game, put you in a driver's seat for, um, you know, more comfortable run for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, if you win on Saturday, you're going to be in pretty much every bracket come that Monday following. Um, I don't think Butler's very good right now. As Bobby said, I mean, they blew the game. Or we blew the game against them, and then their other win, the last, I think, six or seven games was the buzzer beater against Villanova. Uh, I just don't think they're all that great. It's a winnable game. Um, The nice thing is you do have two extra days of rest compared to them. I mean, they have to play Xavier tomorrow night, which every team Xavier plays right now pretty much turns into a bloodbath. So you don't know how they'll come out of that game. So it's – I think it is, if you're going to grab one of these road wins, I, I think this is the one you need to step up and, and take it. Um, maybe it's just my sort of feel, and we'll see what you guys think. I sort of feel like Butler's benefiting from both being in the Big East, but they're also sort of, you know, from obviously making the back-to-back national championships in 10 and 11, I feel like they're still benefiting from being like, oh, it's little Butler, and they, they you know, they play good defense and this, and... I don't feel like they do. I feel like they kind of junk up the game and make it sloppy and slow and uninteresting. So I feel, like I said, I thought they might drop out of the rankings. I think they're holding strong at, I want to say, in the teens somewhere. Let me, oh, they're at, they're, at, they're at 19. I sort of thought that they would just drop. I guess beating Villanova at the buzzer was just enough to get by. But do you, do you kind of get that sense where they're getting the benefit of being in the Big East, but they're also still have a little bit of a Cinderella to them? Yeah, I mean, they did play yeah. well in the non-conference, um, but it's their computer numbers haven't caught up to. I think they're still 23rd on Kempom. Yeah, uh, but like you said, defensively they're not that great. I mean, they're the only team worse than them in the Big East right now in defense is Georgetown. Uh, they're ninth. So they just, as you said, they junk it up. They play slow, um, slowest team in the conference. So I. They're non-conference. Um, they went to Baylor. I mean, they picked up a bunch of nice wins, but it's in conference play. They have not looked apart. DePaul picked up a bunch of nice non-conference wins. They're not doing so yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking at the the Big East standings. If, if we beat Butler on Saturday, we'll be one game behind them. Um, yeah, which pretty interesting. And sort of, it sort of feels about right based on what I saw in person. You know, I mean, it's just that, you know, Georgetown ends up missing the NCAA tournament, which particularly if they don't have enough bodies, you know, lo- you know, getting crushed at Providence and letting Butler walk away with a win. I guess Marquette as well at home, but Butler particularly. I mean, Marquette had a guy that Georgetown just didn't. But Butler, it's just like, man, 
that's a really blown opportunity from my point of view. Um, do you want to head into the questions from Twitter or do you guys want to talk a little, a little um, XFL? Uh, let's do the Twitter questions. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the ones we got here from answer D Stewart. I don't know if he's an Iverson guy. He says he's seen enough of Ewing's coaching to say he is constantly getting better. He's actually quite a good coach. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a team to the final four before long. No one is going to outwork this gentleman. I would agree offensively. I mean, after timeouts, it's something I used to watch, particularly with JT3's teams at the end, and they were just so bad offensively out of timeouts. Ewing's been pretty good. I haven't been charting it, so if there's someone that wants to chart it and tell me I'm wrong, but at least in the home games, it seems like they, they run good stuff. Even if they don't score, it seems like he's got a really good handle on one end of the court. I do think the other end has to catch up at least halfway for this whole get into the final four at some point talk to come true. <laughs> uh, Nolan, what what do you think? It's I, I was looking at it today. I believe this is the best offensive team Georgetown has had since 2011 um, with Austin and Chris in their senior year. So he does, I mean, offensively, I tend to disagree with how much he likes to post up. Um, but there is a coherent plan on that end of the floor, their structure. Uh, it's, I agree that it's all going to come down to how well they can evolve defensively. Um, you think about what can Wahab change with that over the next three years? You know, how much does he just raise the floor by himself on that end? Probably not <laughs> enough, but it's a good start um, with what he's shown lately. I do think these last couple of games have forced Ewing to – he needs to mix it up a little bit, and we've seen that with looks of zone. He's applied a little bit of pressure when he needs to. I think he's really managed the game well. So it's there's always been a weird thing when you go from JT3 to Ewing that it's not that fresh start, really. It doesn't feel like that. Right. So somebody near three with him, it doesn't. I feel like, and I'm guilty of this too, where we're not really going to let him evolve maybe the way he needs to, where – you know, I get frustrated with things, but you do think, okay, this is only his third year actually being a head coach at any level. How much better can he get? And I think you've seen a little bit of improvement this this last couple of weeks or so. So it's, I think especially on the defensive end, these past couple of games have given me a little bit of hope, but there's a lot that needs to be done on that end of the floor. And and for me, what's been impressive is a lot of the off-the-court stuff too, uh, you know, especially on the recruiting trail. I mean, whether we are ultimately landing these five stars or not, I mean, Ewing is there, you know, he's in the gyms, he's making the effort. So, you know, I, that one of the biggest questions was whether he would be that guy to get out there, you know, and be on the recruiting trail where, you know, in, in high school gyms and whatnot, but he is. Um, so, you know, I'm impressed with that. So actually, okay, so there's been, there was a bunch of questions. Sorry for the listeners. I'm not going to read off your name, but got a bunch of recruiting questions. There's one we didn't get, but I saw it pop up on my feed earlier. And I'm a little concerned when I see Georgetown going in. Not that he's, I mean, so 2021 five-star center. I think I'm going to pronounce it right. Musa Cisse. I feel like, what are you doing here? You have Ryan Matumbo, who by all accounts is coming on strong. You went through five years of Trey Morning. Don't you want to make sure that you get the good son of one of the Twin Towers? 
I'm a little concerned <laughs> about the Ryan Matumbo stuff when I see them going so hard after other centers. Guys? I I don't know what to make of the Matumbo stuff. I have always thought that maybe wrongly that it's it's still sort of like a done deal that he's going to Georgetown and that okay. the kid though and but the kid though has to like you know go out there and say I'm my own person and I'm gonna play where yeah. you know I, I my game fits and all that. Um, but I mean, Dikembe still comes to games. He's 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 very active on on Twitter as far as he was there on program Saturday and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'd be very surprised if his kid, especially with Ewing as the coach, doesn't go there. Um, okay. But I do understand how they might want to make the appearance to other schools that it's kind of not of a done deal. Maybe, maybe I'm reading it completely wrong, but uh, Nolan, any thoughts there? Uh, I think he's a kid that just wants you to put forth a little bit of effort and just not assume that he's going to be a Hoya. So I think if they do their work with him like they would with a normal kid, it seems like from his comments that, I mean, it definitely pulls at him that his father went there, and I think they would have more than a solid chance to get him. Um, with the CSA kid, I don't mind. I don't mind chasing top talent like that. But when you look at him, um, I mean, his school list is Memphis, Florida State, USC. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't. <laughs> we're not going to win that recruitment. Um, it's uh, yeah. Those, those recruitments, you're just not going to win. Um, so it's that does feel like a waste of time. We've been down that road before. Usually, does not break our way. Um, right. So I would prefer to focus on a kid like Matumbo, who is, you know, in the 75 to 100 range. Um, I think the best thing with Ewing is how well he identifies talent. Um, like I think with the Tyler Beard kid, I mean, it seems like they have a steal with him and they just, they hopped into that recruitment late and they close the deal. So I think he can identify talent well enough that he doesn't have to chase a five-star center who the odds are going to be fairly low that you can land them. Yeah, and, and I don't think we need the, the one-and-dones. I mean, obviously, the, the, I'll take a one-and-done, but uh, I, I think what Ewing has probably shown is that he can develop kids over a couple years, you know, and uh, so I prefer to get kids who are going to be here, kind of the Villanova model. Kids are going to be here for two, three years at least. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the more sustainable way to – build a program. I do think from a competitive standpoint, I think that, and Patrick, like you said, Patrick's been at all these gyms, the idea that was, Oh, is he going to want to do that? He's doing it. I think competitively for one of the best players of all time, whether he, I don't think he'd probably admit it in public, but I think that winning a five-star battle would be a big deal for him. Right. I think that that, you know, there's some sort of ego involved with it. There's like, there's the competitive nature of one of the, the most competitive basketball players of all time. So I think I think at some point he's going to want to get one of those guys. Sure. Moving actually, and if we could just veer off because I like to do that. Are you guys a little bit surprised that Syracuse is getting twenty twenty one five star guys? Why 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 would someone do that? Uh, he's from there, isn't he? Isn't a kid from somewhere upstate New York? I thought he was from uh, California. I I thought he's from somewhere in New York, at least originally. And Syracuse has been on him since he's. Like been like a freshman in high school or even before then, um, like yeah, it, it made sure more sense. It, it made more sense after I read the kids' quotes. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly he has no aspirations to go to the NBA, uh, <laughs> or, or he'd be 
playing basketball elsewhere for his college career. Okay, so he's a five. So I mean, I guess basically, like when like when Beheim was here, he obviously gave a lot of really good quotes about you know the kids that left and what Ewing was doing, and you know a little bit was self serving because he had just lost to Georgetown, but it didn't seem to me like that was the place or the staff. Like, actually, I'm sorry, he's 2022. 20, so yeah. it's a ways away. I mean, I, I think we all assume Beheim wants to keep coaching his kid. But it seemed a little surprising that a place that, you know, hasn't been great with guards in the NBA, of course, Georgetown hasn't either. Um, but just for someone to commit to Bayheim that far out as a five-star, um, yeah, it looks like he is from New York. He's playing in California. He is from New York. It just That that that, that just sort of stuck out to me. But that's, that's enough of the Syracuse uh, re- uh, recruiting chatter here on Kente Corner. Um, this is a pretty good one from the basketball opinion. Should I stop tweeting at Seth Greenberg every time the biggies succeeds because he called them off Broadway three years ago? I think he should continue to tweet at him. Absolutely. I mean, I, the biggies has shown that it's one of the top conferences in the country. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at the RPI or whatever those metrics are that determine such things, but it seems like it's certainly top three. Um, it's top two. And, top two, whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, the, the these ESPN pundits that keep trying to kind of sweep the Big East under the rug, the whole requiem for the Big East thing is still such a joke in my mind when they did that after year one. Um, so, yeah, keep, keep tweeting at them. If you guys had to rank some of the guys Georgetown's still after, Moncrief, Hill, Murray, does any, Andrew, do you want to rank them? Nolan, maybe you're, you're more familiar definitely than me at the moment. What, what what do you think would be most important for Georgetown? Personally, I think they're going to need a grad transfer guard, point guard. But if you had to rank the freshmen or the incoming freshmen. Um, I, no, I would say yeah, Moncrief. I, I would go with Moncrief just because he fills the position of need, kind of that 3-4 combo yeah. forward um, next year. I mean, as much as DeMarco's kind of struggled recently, would like somebody to kind of give him a push going into his senior year. Um, I know the fan base has kind of really latched onto this Murray kid the last couple of days. Um, yeah. I haven't seen him. Obviously, he's had a good senior year. I think Virginia Tech just offered him today. Um, but I don't know enough about him. Um, one thing I'd be interested to know if Ewing's philosophy will change on using every scholarship available. You know, we got to year three, and it was, okay, we've got our 13 guys. We're going to fill this thing out. Um, Jay Wright, I thought, actually made a really interesting comment. I think it was a week or two ago where he said, you know, we're not going to use every scholarship because if we do that, our culture is not going to hold to the same standard. We're going to end up with a bad apple here or two, and it's not going to work. So I would be interested to know following this year if he changes his approach with that or if we come back next year and he's – He's thrown out every scholarship, and we've we've got a full boat again. So, um, but I, I would think Moncrief's probably their top target, and I think that's the kid who we could use the most right now. Yeah, I mean that, that's a good point. I mean I think clearly with a, with a full roster, it probably allows Ewing to do things like he wants to do, like on defense with with a press easier than than with you know a rotation of seven or eight guys. But he's really adapted well to having a shorter bench. So that that that'll be something to watch for sure. I mean, Sibley, though, isn't he a – he's a wing, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 
he's interesting to me. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be ready to step in and play right away. I mean, he's playing at Oak Hill. I think he's had a decent year until he got hurt. But I think Moncrease mm-hmm. at this point a little physically more solid to step in to the college game. Yeah, I, I do think we, we will need a, a grad transfer guard. I mean, I kind of wish Terrell Allen had one more year in him, but yeah. someone like Terrell Allen. Someone like Terrell Allen for next year's squad would be very helpful, I think, because um, we're sim- we have another issue in the backcourt next year, right? I mean, we don't have a, a floor general. Yeah, you're you're losing two guys that are basically playing 40 minutes a game right now. Right, right. <laughs> and one of them is the best defender on a very mediocre defending team. I think they yeah, are. But I, I get, yeah. But he, I mean, Ewing will have something to sell to a graduate transfer and say, look, I just had this kid here last year. He ended up playing, you know, 35 minutes the last two months of the season, and we entrusted him with the whole show. So I think that is a good pitch to have um, going into the springtime. But I do agree that that is a need. Yeah, I think they can get, if they get, so you would be bringing three point guards, but I think that's okay because Harris might be a little bit of a project, um, and it's not going to kill his development if they bring in a guy next year to start. And then you got Beard being a so- I'm mean, going further down, but then Beard's a sophomore, and Harris is maybe even a redshirt freshman at that point. I think the things, like you said, is he going to use all the scholarships and a very harsh lesson that was learned that you can't really predict, but I think you can probably stay away from bringing in three centers in any one class, probably not a great idea. You're never going to have an opportunity to use all of them. It seemed ah, really be careful. Be careful. We might have that opportunity on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But you know what I mean? Like at least if you're bringing in guards and forwards, when something happens and you can, it's much easier to sort of win playing smaller than it is to win, you know, try and go, we're going to go, you know, huge with guys that can't shoot that's just not basketball in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 whatever you want to say so so there's that um here we got we got philly hoyas here hindsight's 2020 but mcclung hasn't really shot the ball shot the ball well since december when he got hurt um even his free throws have suffered do we think there's nagging injuries you know the plantar fasciitis maybe even the eye still obviously the eye is not keeping him out of playing games but his shooting did go down um, and it wasn't like the non-conference season was – it wasn't like year one of Ewing where they, they, they were playing, you know, little, the little sisters of um, St. Leo's all the time. So there definitely has been a – you know, McClung's been bad since he – basically since he dyed his hair. Not not bad, but his numbers have gone <laughs> down, and he's he's had, you know, the eye problem and now now the foot problem. He, he, he dyed his hair. He did some ridiculous, like, Backstreet Boys thing on TikTok. TikTok. Um, TikTok, Bobby, your fave, and ever, yeah, ever since that. I mean, is is he at this point? Is he injury prone? Is that fair to say? On the college level, probably. It seems like guys don't get hurt a lot in college, and he sort of picks right? up knocks. Yeah, I mean, he's missed a fair amount of games last two years. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not his fault or anything like that, but you know, no, yeah, what can you do? No. Wasn't there a good? There was a good question about the that Hoya season merchandise. Yeah, I was saving the best for last. So I actually didn't know that that website existed, and I went, and there's a title blue shirt that I wouldn't mind if someone bought me for Valentine's Day. But um, <laughs> uh, that is quite the website. And no, 
as someone that's been at every home game, I have not seen anybody wear any of that stuff. Have you guys seen that out where you guys are? Is that a joke? <laughs> um, it's a joke and a legitimate question. If, if, if that's uh, possible, I, I, I've been wondering. I've been wondering if that website, as a as a website, is a joke. Like no one's buying that stuff, and I, I haven't even seen. You can are people wearing white uniform stuff at the games? No, although I will say this: two games ago, the loss to—I'm already forgetting their schedule. What, what was their last home loss? Uh, Seton Hall. I saw somebody yeah. in a title blue Mirasan jersey. I'm not—I'm not lying. Was it his father? No, I—I I recognized his dad. He's a very large individual, <laughs> almost eight feet tall. It was not—it was. Not his dad, but yeah, if you go to the HoyaSeason.com slash merch, they have some merch. I've not seen anyone wear They have some soccer stuff, some dad hats, and a really, a really good looking Hoya Season title blue shirt. I've not <laughs> seen anyone wear this stuff. Uh, um, you know, I, I somewhat jokingly make, you know, references to these white uniforms on, on, on the Twitters, but um I still don't really understand the whole concept behind them. Uh, Nolan, what's your take as someone who probably doesn't care either way? <laughs> this is the first time I've seen this Hoya season website. Um, <laughs> uh, the whites, it's, I don't think we've ever had good luck in those. Um, they started in Escher, right? Yeah. So obviously yeah. that was a bad omen. And then even like, wasn't it like the, was it the 08 season we wore those? I feel like we were playing Fairfield or somebody. We, I mean, that's when we had a great team, and I feel like we barely got by them in one of the non-conference games because we wore the white for, for one game. It just I, – I feel like the white is cursed. Um, cursed. The only alternates I really like are the black ones. We always seem to play well in the black. Yeah, yeah I feel like the black ones show up, like, at um, neutral non-conference games at Madison Square Garden. And right. they usually play pretty well. Yeah. Well, I guess in the next podcast, hopefully, well, at least at some podcast down the road, we'll discuss what we need to do at Madison Square Garden in March. Yeah, um, they're going to need to do some damage. Um, what do you guys think about Chris Grossi? So T.W. Cunningham oh, yeah. thinks that we need to unload a Brinks truck of kale <clears throat> and bring Chris Grossi back. <laughs> I will say this. I got to know Chris Grossi. I like Chris Grossi. I've talked to him since he's left. I was always a little surprised he was at Georgetown for as long as he was because he did seem like, and no offense to Georgetown, he did seem like someone that was sort of bigger. And I'm not surprised that he ended up at like, you know, a power five football, you know, traditional school. He seemed like someone that needed that kind of an audience. But for the Georgetown part of it, he was just, you know, even at the end when things weren't going well for um, the last coaching staff, it seemed like Georgetown was on SportsCenter because they did this promotion or they did that promotion. So he was he was definitely a positive. I mean, he was, you know, he's definitely missed. I mean, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Other than the blog, he was the best part of the program. Strong. Those are those are strong and, words. And, and, and it wasn't even particularly close. I mean, he... He brought, you know, eyeballs to the program with a lot of his invented stuff, inventive stuff. Um, I don't, you know, I haven't been to a home game yet this season, but do they do anything interesting, you know, at all now? I, I well, I'll say it. this. Uh, two games ago against Seton Hall, Greg Malinowski, who has a very interesting look, um, took part in one of the 
uh, media timeout, you know, so it's like just like an in-house thing, but he was shooting the layup and then the free throw and the three-pointer. And then if you make the half court shot, you win something. Um, if they could bring him back to do promotions, he might actually be able to fill Chris Grossi's very large shoes in the promotion game. I don't know if you yeah, guys I mean, saw the picture that, that, I uh, posted. Sadly, I saw a picture. I mean, sadly, I just don't think at this point there's any amount of kale in the universe that's going to bring Chris back <laughs> to Georgia. No, I think he's definitely a, you know, a power five football guy. It makes sense that he's you know coming up with um, promotions for you know 115,000 Penn State versus whoever game, you know, a whiteout or whatever. Um, so, yeah, he's not coming back. So, by the way, uh, by the way, one thing, it, it did seem that attendance was actually okay for the DePaul game. Yeah, it was pretty Once good. It was up. around 10,000 um, after the attendance gate of the Seton Hall 9 or the, the mm-hmm. 8, 8, uh, 8.30 tip. That was a corrected attendance. All right, well, that's pretty good, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Um, so Blair had that 30-point game. We'll just end with uh, a good a good thought. I tracked down, it's, you know, kind of lazy of me. I could have gone further, but the college basketball reference site goes back to the 2010-11 season. To put that in perspective, that is the Chris Wright, Austin Freeman, Julian Vaughn senior season. So there's been 20, 30-point games since then. Do you think you guys, between you guys, you can get all of the players? Uh... So Blair has one. So there's 10 other guys that got you know, those uh, 19 other games. I think Chris has the high mark, doesn't he? No. So that was actually like in 2008, nine. So this only goes back. Oh, like, okay. Unfortunately. Yeah. Sorry. Right. What's that? Didn't, didn't Otto Porter have at least. Yeah. One so Otto's in there. He's got the one game, although it's the most memorable game. Didn't LJ Peak hit it like in his first game? Yeah, I don't know if it's no. I think first game he had twenty six. But yes, Peak is on there for okay. one. You guys got Breyer? eight more. Um, what, what's that? Prior DSR must have hit it. Yeah, DSR is the leader with five. Prior's on here twice. Come on, guys. Uh... Has Mac hit 30? Yeah, so Mac's the leader. He's got two. Well, he's got two games, but he's got the most in a game. He's got 38. Mm-hmm. So Did we're Jesse down to just a couple more. 30? Who? Jesse gets a 30. Jesse. Yeah, Je- Jesse's on there. Jesse's on here twice. One. They've got All one right, more so current who? player. Omir's got one. Seven? Yeah, yeah Omir's got one. Austin has three his senior year. Clark's got one, and Isaac Copeland. Ah, Cope. So Blair's the, the one, guy with the, the lowest. Yeah, so Blair, Blair's the one with the lowest <laughs> scoring average. Although Blair is now the third leading scorer on Georgetown, <laughs> which tells you everything you need to know about the 2019-2020 Georgetown Hoyas. <laughs> He just overtook. He just overtook Pickett, and he's played far less minutes than than Pickett and Allen and Mosley. So, Javon Blair coming through, guys. As always, Kente Corner has been a blast. We are running out of time. <laughs> Hope everyone that's listening. Obviously, you found us, but subscribe, rate us, let us know what you want us what you want us to do better next time. And we promise we will try our best to not wear the white uniforms. 
I'm Bobby Bancroft. Andrew and Nolan, say goodbye. Title blue Hoya season T-shirt to Bobby. You might want to tweet out your address. <laughs> I think I think someone's gonna make it happen. That would be great. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Peace. Thanks, guys. Thank you.